The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. So, Father, as we've already prayed this morning, we want to hear from you. There's warnings in this passage. There's incredible truth in this passage. And as we see very clearly, you're pushing us, Lord Jesus, on how we listen, how we listen to you. And so we pray now, Lord, that you'd help us listen as your word advises, as it, as it draws us in, Lord, that we would see, that we would believe, and that we would be changed as we come to trust and love Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. So if you've been here with us very long at Fountain of Life, you may have noticed we spent a lot of time on sermons. Sometimes you may think, maybe too much time on sermons. I don't know if you think that. But a big question probably on some of our minds after the service, and I'll tell you, it's definitely on my mind. The question is, well, how was the sermon? It's a fair question. It's an important question. You know, it might be interesting to see the different standards and criterion we use to answer that question. And some people might ask, was the sermon, how was the sermon? Well, and what they mean maybe is, was it entertaining? Was it funny? And that's a large burden if I had to wear that. Uh, others might ask, well, did it, did it pertain to my life? Did it help me? Is that what makes a, a good sermon? Or still others, you might ask, maybe you don't say this out loud in your own mind, but you might say, well, did I agree with it? <laughs> That's how I know it's a good sermon. Finally, you might, you might ask, why do we do sermons at all? What are we doing? Well, great questions. We're, we're studying through the Gospel of Mark. We know that Mark was an associate of the Apostle Peter, who was himself an eyewitness of the life of Jesus. And so from Peter's accounts, Mark wrote this record of the life of Jesus and he wrote it around 60 AD. So it's just 30 years after Jesus' life and his work. And if you've been with us for very long, I hope this sounds familiar. At the heart of this gospel are three questions. Try to remember this as we keep going week after week. The three questions are, who is Jesus? Who is he? Second, what did he come to do? And third, given those first two, how should I respond to him? Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? How should I respond to him? Well, we've come now to chapter 4 in the Gospel of Mark. As you can see, it's unique in the book in the sense that it focuses mainly on Jesus' teaching. He's teaching. He's preaching in this chapter. So we're listening to him teach. As we do that this morning, as we take in what he's saying, I think we'll see there is some stuff in here that could teach us about what makes a good sermon. There is some stuff in here about why we want to preach at all. But kind of surprisingly, I think we'll see as Jesus teaches, the question he's raising is not, how was the sermon? That's not what he's asking here. No, the, the emphasis of this passage asks a different question. And you know what question it asks? How were the listeners? How were the listeners? It's really interesting to have that question flipped. 
You go to church. How was church? How was the sermon? Maybe you think, how did people treat me? Almost, well, I don't know. It's hard sometimes, isn't it, to have the main question be, how was church? Well, how did I listen to what I heard? What did I do with what I heard? Can you imagine if that was the big question on our minds? How did I listen? I think that's what Jesus is pressing us on this morning. So I want to see three main things with you from this section of Jesus' teaching in Mark 4. Number one, we're going to see some of why how we listen is so incredibly important. We're going to see why it's so important. Number two, we're going to see some of how how we listen exposes who we are and our future. Jesus is going to show us how how we listen exposes who we are in our future. Number three, we're going to see the secret to savor. We really want to listen to, and that changes how we listen. Okay? So number one, some of why how we listen is so important. Number two, how how we listen exposes who we are in our future. And number three, the secret to savor, that as we listen to it, it changes how we listen. So here we go. I really hope you'll follow along in the books in front of you, or maybe you brought your own Bible. We want to look at what Mark 4 here is saying. So again, it's page 839 on your church Bibles. You'll notice in verses 1 to 2, he's teaching beside the sea. A large crowd gathers. We've seen this crowd over and over again in Mark. It's crazy. It's pressing in on him. So he makes a stage of a boat, basically, to give himself some space, and he can speak to the crowd from the lake. And he's teaching them many things. So first of all, just it's blatantly obvious, but let's think about it. What is Jesus doing? He's teaching. What's one reason Jesus came? He came to teach. He says that explicitly in chapter 1. This is the main reason I came. I came to preach. I came to teach. Preaching and teaching was a fundamental passage or passion a fundamental passion for Jesus. He's always doing this. Why is it so important to him? You can find that answer in a lot of places, but let's look just at this parable. So as you see in Mark 4, verses 3 to 8, Jesus is going to tell a parable. What's a parable? A parable is an illustration from everyday life that teaches you about spiritual reality. What's a parable? An illustration from everyday life that teaches you about the nature of spiritual reality. And so this one is right out of the everyday life of his audience right there. It's a sower going to sow seed. It's a farmer planting a crop. Everyday life stuff. That's, so he's going to teach a spiritual reality from this parable. And you see in verse 14, because in verses 13 to 20, he starts to explain what the parable means. You see in verse 14, this fundamental starting point. So look right here, Mark 4. 14, the sower sows, what? What does he sow? The word. The sower sows the word. So in this illustration, what are, what are the seeds the, that the farmer's throwing out? It's the word. The word. Interesting thing to say, isn't it? Um, 
Why does he say it like this? What is, he, what is he talking about? The word. Well, number one, maybe it's apparently obvious. Sometimes we miss it. The word. Words are put together to communicate. I know you already knew that, but think about it. Words are put together to communicate. And what's happening when people communicate? It's really quite amazing. There's this incredible reality called communication where one personal being can share him or herself and information with someone else, and that person receives it and understands it and responds, and now we have this thing called a relationship. And so every day that we, we kind of take it for granted, and sometimes it's painful, so we're like, heck with people, I'm leaving, I want to live in a cave. But you die there in that cave over time. The beauty, right, of communication of relationship. And Jesus comes preaching the word because this is the communication from whom? God is communicating to people made in his image. This is an incredible picture of God's love and God's grace. He does not have to communicate himself with you. He doesn't need us. It's not like he's lonely without us. No, it's his graciousness, it's his kindness that he would create us and then say, know me. You can know me. You can hear my voice, hear what I'm thinking, know what's true about God, about his world, about ourselves, and how to respond. Jesus came preaching the word, God's communication. And to sum it up, we see, other, see this in other places in Mark, he's proclaiming the kingdom So this is God telling you about God's king and how God's king has come and will come again and how the whole storyline of the world is about this king and how he brings people to God. Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God. And and according to Jesus, this is fundamental. How does the kingdom come? How does it spread? Preaching. The kingdom comes through preaching. As the word of God is heard, as it culminates and fulfills in the person of Jesus Christ, the kingdom takes root. It starts to grow. It starts to transform. It starts to change you. To sum this up, Jesus has come proclaiming the word about God's kingdom The communication from God in his word, right, as it culminates in Jesus, and and preaching is how the kingdom comes. There's some huge implications for preaching here, right? What do we learn? Well, if this is true, if this is true, just imagine that God is speaking through the preaching of his word, there is nothing more important than preaching Jesus from the Bible. Nothing. Nothing which is why I and 10,000 other people like me are happy to give our lives to this. To me, there is nothing more important than preaching Jesus from his word. I mean, think about it. Right now in February 2023, Jesus is still king and his kingdom is still growing as his words preach. So beautiful, so wonderful. 
As long as the truth about Jesus is proclaimed from his word, this is core to how people meet God. Don't you, and you know this, don't you, if you've met God? <laughs> I met him through his word. This is how people are saved by God. This is how their people's lives change. This is how we come to know God and worship him and know what it means to live for him. His word proclaimed. Wow, so beautiful. So why do we spend a lot of time on, on preaching? Because we think, done rightly, God's talking to us. <laughs> Not because me or any other preacher, we have it all together or we're um, perfectly righteous or all wise. No, no, no. It, it doesn't have that much to do with us at all, really. Because those who preach, well, that, that, that gets to the second part, doesn't it? How do we know it's a good sermon? Is it because it's funny? No. I mean, do, do I want you to be bored when I'm preaching? I, I truly don't, Okay. If I can offer some of you well-needed rest, you know, I'm glad to give that to you as a gift. But I don't want you to be bored, right? I, I, do I want it to, do I want you to see how the Bible's relevant for your life? I do. But is that the test of whether or not it was a good sermon, if you thought it met your felt needs of the day? It's really not. That's not what makes a good sermon. And I, I certainly want to convince you of what I'm trying to communicate, right? I want you to believe it's true. That's, that's the point. But, but is that really the grade on whether or not it was a good sermon? I mean, is, we all have to ask this, right? Is God allowed to disagree with you? If your God never disagrees with you, I would suggest to you that you have invented him. <laughs> I don't have any relationships that never disagree with me. Uh, to be frank, I don't always agree with myself looking back. So, so no, sermons are going to bump us in the mouth sometimes. Be and it should. If it never did, we'd have to wonder, is God really speaking? So it's not the test. It's not ultimately, is it entertaining? It's not ultimately, did it meet my felt need at the moment? It's not ultimately, did I agree with it? The core of it is, we could say a lot more, but here's the core of it. Was it faithful to the intention of God's word? That's what makes it a good sermon. Well, now I've spent all this time on what makes a good sermon, and that's not really the point of the passage. In this passage, Jesus takes that for granted in this case. He's the one preaching, right? It's a good sermon. He's preaching it. He takes that for granted here. The point of the passage is, well, it makes sense if you think about it. If God is speaking from his word... What might you want to do? You might want to listen. I mean, just everyday life, do you enjoy it when people ignore you? I mean, that's one of the great, that's one of the great offenses, right? Because it, it communicates so very sharply. You're not very valuable to me, and I don't care what you're saying. Right? And think of how important communication is. If somebody ignores your communication, they're devaluing you. Right? We all know that. We feel that. This is our everyday experience. It's similar with God. If you ignore his word, what are you saying about what God means to you? And so you see the emphasis of this passage. Look at verse 3. Jesus began his teaching. How does he begin? Verse 3, listen. It's a command. It's an exhortation. Listen. 
You know what's funny about that? Everybody there came to hear him. Verse 9, he says, he ends his parable. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What? Well, that's just it, right? And here's, a, here's, here's another illustration from everyday life we all know far too well. I'm guilty of this, right? A member of my family is talking to me. It's true, sound was going and hitting my eardrums. And then I look up, what? And a member of my family could say, are you listening to me? And I could say, yes. <laughs> In the sense that sound waves were hitting my eardrums. Was I listening? Not in the sense that I was taking it seriously and taking it to heart. Isn't that what Jesus is saying here? They all came to hear him preach, and what does he say? Listen. They're all going to have sound hitting their eardrums, but you might not be listening. Uh, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This, this is for us sitting right here today. This is for every time we read our Bible, it's for every, every sermon we ever hear. You can have the ideas hit your brain in some way. You can have the sound hit your eardrums and not be listening. Or he ends our passage, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. There's something about when we encounter the word, as we'll see, if you take it just a little bit, but don't really take it seriously, it can almost like, it can inoculate you to where you can't hear it at all anymore. I remember a time in my life where I think I experienced this. I was, I was living in rebellion against God as my junior year of college. And I knew some of the deeds I was practicing were against his word, and I knew I was rebelling against the God that has known and loved me and revealed himself to me. I have, I have no excuse. I'm, I'm a sinner, okay? And I actually remember doing the old, it was my habit to read the Bible. And I actually remember encountering the Bible and then just being like, you know, it doesn't make sense like it used to anymore. And a little alarm went off in my head. You're in trouble right now. And I'm so thankful for how God called me back to himself. But we see this principle here. Pay attention to what you hear. As we're going to see in this passage, the more you hear and engage and take it seriously, the more you have something there and it grows and it snowballs. And you know God more and more and more. But the more you hear and encounter his word and go, eh, eh, whatever, the more almost you can be calcified to it to the point where if you're not careful, you won't even care anymore at all. It's very serious. So to wrap this first point up, because the Bible is God's word, how you listen to it is the most important thing in your life. Is that true? Did you know that before you came today? It's something to be reminded of, isn't it? What were you most worried about today? What were you most experiencing and feeling as the important thing in your life? If only this, well, here's a refresher for all of us. The most important thing in your life is how you listen to God's word. Take care of how you listen. All right, second point. How you listen shows you who you are and what your future will be like. I'll unpack that here in a second. So in verse 13, 
Jesus says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? I mention that right now just to show you this parable we're going to look at is a fundamental teaching of Jesus about how we listen to his word. And if we don't get the ideas here, we miss out on a lot of things. This is really important. Just to unpack the parable and the details we see in verse, what, three to eight. It's a simple illustration, right? It's an illustration from everyday life. You have a farmer, ancient farming practice. He's going to sow his seed. He's going to sow his seed, and the seed is going to bounce and land on different kinds of soils. So for the point of the parable, the farmer's a good farmer. For the point of the parable, the seed is good seed. The issue... It's not the farmer or the seed in this case. What's the issue? It's the soils, right? So you, you see the illustration. There's one seed, but there's four different soils. Number one, there's the part where people walk. In the ancient world, you'd have kind of paths through different fields, the part people walk, and it's very hard. And you can imagine what happens to the seed when it lands on the sidewalk. Ping, 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 right? It's not going in. It's not going in. And so what happens to those seeds? They get ate by the birds in the story, right? It's, it's very real. A lot of farmers even today have to watch out for the birds eating all of their seeds. So that's one soil. It's hard like concrete. The seed doesn't get in. The birds eat lunch. Then there's two very interesting soils. One's full of rocks. The other one's full of roots, or I'm sorry, uh, like thorns or brambles. So in each case, it looks like decent soil, and the seed hits it, and it germinates, and it sprouts. It looks good, but the one with the rocks, uh, it can't take root. It doesn't go deep. It doesn't last. And so it gets, it gets burnt out. It gets, um, there's no harvest. can't take root. It doesn't last. It doesn't ever bear fruit. Second soil, soil full of brambles. It looks all right. The seed falls on it. The seed germinates again, starts to grow, but the brambles choke it out. No harvest. So you have three soils where it didn't work out, no harvest. Then there's one soil in the end, good soil. And for the ancient world here, you get a, a harvest with an incredible result, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. For that time, that's enormous. It's just transformational harvest. It grew. It bore fruit. So that's the parable. Sower, seed, four soils. What does it mean? Well, I think we're already kind of getting the point. What does the seed represent? It's God's word. What is the emphasis of the passage? How we listen. So what then, how then are we to understand the soils? What do they represent? It's listeners. It's human hearts. It's the way you respond to God's word about Jesus Christ. In how we listen to the word, we're going to see who we are. And not only that, we're going to see who we are as based on our desires. It's very powerful. What does the sidewalk soil look like? So Mark 4, 14. The sower sows the word, verse 15. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown, and when they hear... Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Gosh, that's striking. Striking. It's somewhat symbolic, but do you hear what's happening? I mean, this happens 
all the time, it could be happening right now, hopefully not, that somebody hears the word about Jesus, and it's not like it's this material thing and Satan invisibly comes and grabs it, right, and runs away. That's not how it works. It's a parable. Here's how it works. You hear the truth about Jesus, and instantly, without looking at the evidence of who he is, you go, oh, that's ridiculous. Or, oh, church, there's, there's too many hypocrites at church. Or something, right? Something is wedged in there that makes you go somehow, some way, I don't need to listen to this. It's not important. It's ridiculous. It's irrelevant. But did you see, according to Jesus, who it is that's inspiring those kind of thoughts? Did you see it? Satan comes. This is a really intense passage. Jesus is telling you that the devil himself is out to make sure that you never take his words seriously. You know who's really happy if you're bored with the Bible? The devil is really happy. It's a great vehicle for him to ruin your life. Sobering. That's what Jesus is saying. We don't want to be sidewalk soil where the word doesn't get in. Then there's rocky soil. We want to see what Jesus says about these folks. This is painful stuff for anybody who's been at a church for very long. I've, I've certainly seen this as a pastor. These are people who, people who, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. And what do they look like for a little bit? And they look like converted Christians. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Jesus is word. But look what happens. Verse 17. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then what's the deal breaker for them? Do you see it in verse 17? When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Because here we all need to realize this. It will get hard to follow Jesus. At some point in some way, it will get hard to follow Jesus. There'll be some sort of obedience he calls you to that is the hardest thing you've ever done. Or, or some relationship you care about, following Jesus will, it'll bring conflict somehow. Rejection, misunderstanding from friends, whatever. It, it costs you your job. You can be culturally ostracized. Somehow there's a sacrifice to follow Jesus and his word. A job or relationship is at risk if you do this. And this kind of person, right, this kind of soil says, I liked the idea of knowing and following Jesus as long as he gave me a certain kind of comfortable life. And when he doesn't deliver on those desires, the response of that person to Jesus is, well, I'm out. And, and you see into the, that person's heart, because what does that person really want? Does that person really want Jesus or what they think Jesus might give to them? And when he doesn't give you what you really want, which wasn't him at all, this kind of soil says, I'm out. That's heartbreaking. That's the soil of the rocks. But do you see 
what Jesus is saying here? I think this is fascinating. How you listen and what you value most are intimately related. How you listen to God's word and what you value most are intimately related. And so these people who value things other than Jesus no longer want to listen to his word. And so they're exposed. Who they are towards him is exposed by how they listen. That's what he's saying. That takes us to the thorny soil. Verse 18, others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But what happens? The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Again, these people look like Christians, but then there's a slow fade. And do you, do you see how it started for some people? The cares of the world. And we need, we need to be careful here. Is it, is it wrong to have ambitions or things you love or, or, or pursue in this world? No, it's not. You're, you're human beings, right? Hobbies, friends, family, relationships, your work, your job, all good things in their right place. All good things in their right place. And yet the danger here is, well, look at the next phrase, the deceitfulness of riches. And just pondering that, is it wrong to have riches? No. Riches are a vehicle for love. It's how you live and function in this world and, and do things for the glory of God. But what's the deceitfulness of riches? I'm better than Jesus. That's the deceitfulness of riches. Riches are more pleasing than Jesus. And Jesus will say in other places, you can't serve God and money because you can't have two masters. You'll either love money and use God or love God and use money. So this is the kind of person, right? I mean, the key phrase is desires for other things. Desires for other things. What other things? It doesn't really matter. It's just things that they love more than they love Jesus. That's what it is. It's things that they love more than they love Jesus. And you know what will happen to that person? They'll fade out and no longer listen. Because what's the Bible going to be telling you from start to finish? There is no treasure greater than knowing God through Jesus Christ. And that heart that has brambles in it responds to God's word by saying, yes, there is. So they won't want to listen anymore. Do you see how you love is tied to how you listen? And therefore, how you listen exposes who you are. Wow. Well, finally, that takes us to the good soil. Soft hearts that love Jesus. Verse 20 those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. They love Jesus. They trust him. They're living Christian life according to his word. And boom, everything is changed. But Jesus ends this parable, as we saw, verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so we've thought about this, right? You can, you can have the sound or the ideas of the Bible coming into your mind or your ears, but then not really take them to heart. And so we see that how we listen reveals who we are and also our future. 
Let me show you that in this passage. Look at verses 10 to 12. So after he tells the parable, uh, the people around him ask, why are you talking in parables? It's an interesting question. How come you're out there preaching like these every, illustrations from everyday life that teach spiritual reality? Why do you do that? And Jesus' response is shocking. And he basically says, to those close to him, he says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom, but for those outside, everything is in parables. Why? Verse 12. And he quotes from the prophets. So that they may see but not perceive. So that they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Did you hear what he's saying? Part of why he speaks in parables to some people is judgment, so they won't actually listen and come. Why would he do that? Well, it's not that he doesn't want people to listen and come, and he he says that he does in a thousand ways. Here's what's happening. Sometimes when God judges you, he judges you by giving you what you want, And in the case of two, three of these soils, what did they not want? They did not want the word of God about Jesus. And at some point, you know what God says to people like that? Fine. Have what you want, which is not Jesus. And so it's that judgment that comes. A heart and a mind gets so calcified that they can't see or care about the truth about Jesus anymore, and they'll never want to repent. Off they go. And did you see in this passage? They won't be forgiven. Do you want to be forgiven of your sins? That should be like A-list, right? Number one, I really need that. I need that bad. I need that more than anything else. That's a doorway into all the other blessings. If I don't have that, I'm in trouble. I've got to be forgiven. To to refuse to listen to God's word and trust and believe it puts you in a place where you pay for your own sins. You'll get what you deserve from a just and holy God. It's your future. It's a bad future. You don't want this future. It was all tied back to how you listen. How you listen shows you who you are in your future. Well, that takes us to our third point. There's another group of people, right? The good soil, and they have a different future, but it's all about the secret to savor. And here's why I'm calling it this. Number one, Jesus said in verse 10, 10, 11, he said to those who were close to him, that's very interesting that Mark says that. They were close to him. And he says to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And what do you do when somebody says, hey, I want to tell you a secret? You know what you all do, probably, I guess, you know? You lean in and you listen. Who doesn't want to know the secret? And it's not a secret in the sense that we Christians want to be mystical and be like, oh, we can't tell you guys. We can't tell you guys what we're really about because it's a secret. You know, it's cults that do that. That's not what we're like here. The secret is out in the open for everyone to, to see. It's no secret at all, really. 
And yet it is the secret because if you grab this, it changes how you listen. It's like, if, what I mean is like, it's the secret to success or something like that, where if you, if you got this, this fundamental key, this fundamental piece, if you saw this and believed this and you had this, you would have what you needed for everything else. In that way, right, it's the secret. What is it? The secret of the kingdom of God, how the kingdom works, the nature of the kingdom, how to have it, enjoy it, be a part of it, to be a citizen of the kingdom, to inherit the kingdom. It's the best thing God could ever give you. Down in verse 21, Jesus says this. He said to them, as a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, not understand. No, that's not what you do with a lamp, right? It's one of those easy, obvious parables. You don't turn a lamp on and then cover it with four blankets. Uh, huh, right? you know, it would have brought a chuckle for Jesus' audience too, right? It, no, that's silly. And Jesus is saying about himself, I think, in context very clearly, he is the lamp. And it's not going to stay covered up who he really is. It's going to shine. And when you, when you follow the storyline of the Bible, you get to a passage like in Philippians, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We will all see it very clearly. Every knee will hit the floor. Some people will love that. Others, not as much, but they're all hitting the floor. It'll be seen. He's going to come back. He's going to renew the world. He's going to judge the living and the dead. It'll be seen. It'll be exposed. It'll be made manifest. It'll all be so explicit. And how we listened will be made manifest and seen and exposed. Look, verse 25, to the one who has, more will be given. That's where we want to sit as we finish now. To the one who has, more will be given. Has what? Because this is the key. This is the secret. If you have this, you'll get all the other stuff. If you have this, more will be given. If you have this, you're in the kingdom. You need, you need this. What is it? The secret to savor but just back to the flow of Mark. You remember how Mark starts? Verse 1, Mark tells you right away he's got no secrets. This is the gospel of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. He told you who Jesus was. But then, as, as he shows us now who Jesus is, we see nobody really gets it for a long time except demons. It's very strange. In fact, nobody even gets it as far as humans until the end of the book. And you know who it is that finally sees who Jesus is? It shocks us all. It's a Roman centurion who was part of crucifying him. And he, the first one, goes, truly, this is the son of God. And where did he see it? He saw it at the cross. That's on purpose. He saw it at the cross. I like how Luke records this. Luke 9.44, look what Jesus says. Speaking of really listening, Luke 9, 44, let these words sink into your ears. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They couldn't believe it. But what were they supposed to hear? How is it that God's king could be under the power of tyrannical governments who are going to unjustly kill him? Or look at Mark 10, 33. He says the same thing. 
See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. You know, if we were stopping there, you might say, why are we going? I would not go to a city if that were to happen to me. But then Jesus drops this on you. After three days, what? He will rise. Who is Jesus is our first question. Why did he come is our second question. Look at Mark 10, 45. Why did Jesus come? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And how did he serve? How did he serve us? To give his life as a ransom for many. This is the secret to be savored. This is the conclusion to every sermon, that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life for you in your place. He came so you could be made right with God. Jesus Christ died as a substitute for your sins on the cross so that you, you could be forgiven. Didn't he even die for how we haven't listened to God's word? Jesus rose from the dead. He served you by ransoming you, which means in his blood he bought you for himself. So when you hear the word about Jesus, who he is and what he did for you, and you see there on the cross that you're both worse than you ever wanted to admit, right? It takes a cross to save you. But you also see that you're more loved than you could ever have hoped because he's there on purpose in order to save you. When you see his beauty that way, his strength, his goodness, his kindness, when he see what he's done to buy you for himself, when you put your faith in him and believe, the Holy Spirit's doing something there. And you know what he's doing? The Holy Spirit is changing the soil of your heart. Soil that used to be sidewalk. Soil that used to have rocks in it. Soil that used to have brambles in it. As we see and savor Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us, it becomes good soil. And then as you're thrilled with Jesus and his life, death, his resurrection, his reign for you, guess what you now want to do? And I know this has happened in so many of you. You want to listen to God's word. You want to hear it. You're like, feed me, right? Take me to the truth. Show me the word of God. I want to believe it. I want to understand it. I want to live it. And you're bearing fruit. Because the secret to savor is who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Look at how Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 2.7. We impart, a, we impart a, a secret and hidden wisdom from God. And again, it's not something we're covering up that you can't understand. No. We impart a secret and wis hidden wisdom from God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And in context, here's what he's talking about. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.23. What do we preach? We preach Christ, what? Crucified. And look, there's three groups of people now. To the Jews, how do they hear the idea of their Christ crucified? 
It's a stumbling block. No way. The cross, that's a slander. That's a shame. That cannot be. To the Jew, it's a stumbling block. How does a Gentile hear that? And that's everybody else, right? So you got Jews and Gentiles, that's, all, that's everybody in the world. To the Gentiles, how do they hear the message of the cross? It's ridiculous. Why would a crucified Jewish rabbi do anything for me? Until you see the secret. He's the eternal son of God, fulfilling all of God's promises in the scriptures to save God's people through his life, death, and resurrection. And when you believe that, you now are in the third group of people. Do you see what they're called? To those who are called. And that's a passive word. You did not call yourself. Who called you? The Holy Spirit of God called you and said, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And then we see in Christ crucified. What do we see in that last sentence? Christ, the what? The power of God. Christ, the wisdom of God. Power and wisdom in the gospel of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection for us. That's the secret to savor. So wrapping it all up, I'm sorry when my sermons get too long. They do sometimes, honestly. But the reason we care so much is because it's God's word. And if it's faithful to God's word, it's seed. And so, yeah, it's fair to ask, was that a good sermon? But you better ask another question, which is what? How did I listen to it? How did I listen to it? Did I take it to heart? Did I believe it? Did I live it out? Because what do we see? It exposes who you are and your future. And what do we want for one another? That we be good soil, that believes and accepts the word of God. And like I'm so happy to see in so many of you, you bear fruit. You love Jesus. You love his word. And think of that future that we have now in him. If you have that, you have everything. You have Jesus Christ himself. You have the new heavens and the new earth. You have it forever. Isn't that wonderful? All from how the Spirit has helped us to listen. Well, I'm going to pray. Then we're going to take up our offering. And then the the best conclusion we have to this message is we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And the texts about the Lord's Supper actually say, right, we're celebrating what Jesus did for us. The bread's going to be symbolic of his life broken for us, the juice symbolic of his blood shed for us. And then the text, the scriptures say, as we do this together, we actually proclaim the Lord, his death and his return until, until he comes. So let's pray. We'll celebrate that supper together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're such a good and kind God that you speak, and you've given us all this incredible invitation to hear your voice, and to know you, to belong to you all through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. So we pray, Lord, that you would change the soil of our hearts. Let us not ignore your word. Let us not be hypocrites. Let us not love other things too much, but let us love Jesus Christ the most. Let him be our treasure according to your word. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fountainoflifefellowship.org.
folfcrc.com.